0: Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Katie Mulligan, an editor with ACG's Middle Market Growth magazine. For this week's episode, I spoke with Chris Hebel, Managing Director at Investment Bank Houlihan Loki. I asked Chris about his work helping companies raise capital, and he addressed some of the questions that come up, particularly for small and middle market companies that might be new to this process. Chris is also the chairman of ACG's Inner Growth Conference this year, so we talked about that event and how it has benefited him professionally over the years. Intergrowth will be in San Diego this year on May 2nd through the 4th, so if you haven't signed up yet, head over to innergrowth.org to learn more. Now let's hear from the chairman himself. Here is my conversation with Chris Hebel of Houlihan Loki. Chris, thanks for joining me.
1: You as well, Catherine.
0: Sure. So to get started, can you give an overview of your role at Houlihan Loki and the types of companies that you work with?
1: Sure. So I'm a managing director on the West Coast for Houlihan Loki. We're a global investment bank. Uh, We have the largest private capital investment banking group on the street, which means that we have 35 people dedicated to raising private capital around companies, middle market companies, uh, both large and small, public and private but the idea would be to help them solve transformational opportunities. Um, What does that mean? Are they buying the guy down the street? Are they cashing out as a shareholder? Are they just refinancing their existing capital structure? Uh, But the opportunity would be for for us to work with companies to help them raise capital in in a private forum.
0: And when you're working with a company whose situation is complex, what are some of the advantages of looking for capital outside of the institutional loan market?
1: So it's it it actually is institutional loans that were that we're structuring and putting in place. They're mm-hmm. just not syndicated loans. I see. So a lot a lot of times the investors that we're helping raise the capital with are institutions, CLOs, mutual funds, direct capital investing funds that help facilitate a loan uh, in order to facilitate what you know what the company's objectives are.
0: Gotcha. And for small cap and lower middle market companies, what are some of the misconceptions or knowledge gaps that they have about seeking debt financing?
1: Well, a lot of times those companies really only know the, you know, the Wells Fargo Bank of America, PNC, their local revolving lender that helps facilitate their bank products. What they don't know, and therefore outside of it, they think that the, other, the only other market for them is syndicated capital. Mm. What, what, what they don't understand is that there's a, a world of investors that are looking to facilitate debt and you know, junior capital placements, investments in their company. And so these kinds of companies are enterprise value-based lenders predominantly that are looking for the cash flow characteristics of a company to support why a certain amount of investment can be made.
0: And you touched on this a little bit, but from a lender's perspective, you know, what's the appeal of small and mid-sized companies, and are there typically any concerns about the potentially higher risk profile given their size, um, particularly for cash flow-oriented businesses?
1: So... I think that I think that what what a lot of times what companies are, are looking for is is an opportunity to raise capital that supports something that they're doing. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, whether it was buying the guy next door or cashing out a shareholder, what they may not appreciate is how do you put capital in place that would be supportive of the objective, the, the you know what the opportunity is, the transaction, but also one that's you know, supportive of the company's projections and the way the companies can perform after that capital is in place. So they would work, the investors, myself and the investors would work with the company to understand how the cash flow characteristics of the company will support an ongoing investment, whether that's being able to pay cash interest, whether it's so you have to pick the interest, whether or not there's some form of, 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 of you know, of uh, amortization which is required or not required. But the idea would be to make sure that the capital is supportive of the company's performance, not taking away from it.
0: Hmm. And in addition to, you know, looking at what the uses will be for this capital, can you dig into that a little bit more? What types of questions should companies be asking themselves before they, um, you know, go out and, and raise debt financing?
1: So, you know, what, what are what are some of the objectives of, of the, the company in general? Are they looking to grow through, you know, building a new warehouse? Are they, you know, build a new plant? Are they looking to grow through um, through buying you know as I said a couple times buying the guy down the street or are they trying to do something which is going to alleviate their current capital structure like use capital to mortgage an existing building that they own outright or is it an opportunity to take out uh, you know your the, the, the eldering Founder of the company no longer wants to be there, but wants to turn it over to management and supports management with buying out an existing shareholder. So what, what, what is the situation that you're faced with where you don't have to go and raise equity, which is expensive and dilutive, right? But there's a way to raise some capital, which is supportive of what the company's objectives are. Right. How, how do they look at what is, you know, what is the opportunity for them to bring in new capital, which may actually bring in a new partner for them? A lot of times the investors, these types of investors have invested it across companies and lots of money before, so they have experience, which could be supportive of a company's objectives, but also could bring in some regimen in terms of operating and reporting, which is helpful to why, you, you know, why that capital should be in place and help the company you know, be, you know, be aware of how they should operate knowing that an institutional partner is in place. So it's a transformational opportunity that the company is looking to, to move forward on.
0: And what's a typical time frame for a company who's going out and raising capital?
1: We raise capital as little as a week but mm. but but the, but the normal time frame is somewhere about three to four months okay. between you know a month or so to get you know to get the company ready, you know develop a marketing process and a marketing plan and offering a memorandum for that. and then you know a couple eight weeks in market. Figuring out who are the best investors to potentially look at and get them to diligence the opportunity, and then another three or four weeks to close in terms of documentation.
0: And for a lower middle market or smaller company that you know may have a, a fairly small leadership team that's pretty operationally focused, what type of time commitment should they expect to make during this process?
1: So hiring an advisor is a really good way to help create operating operating leverage, and what that will do is is because of uh, the fact that we do this all the time, we would go in and work with management to take a very acute process to get the information out of the company. And then we would deal with the investors for the first you know, 70% of the process. Mm-hmm. And then also at the end in the closing in terms of documentation. The smallest time in between is, is when the company wants to meet management and deal with them and interact with them. They want to, you know, learn about the company, they want to visit and kick the tires. That's really the only execution time which is really required on management's part. Mm. It's helping us get the information and then meeting the, the ultimate investors.
0: And you know, many believe that we are currently in the late stages of the credit cycle. There are multiple interest rate hikes that are predicted for this year. What does this mean for the credit markets in 2018 and how is that going to impact private capital financing?
1: So there is more capital in direct capital investing than there ever has been before. And what's really interesting is, is that most of the investors are fixed-rate investors, fixed-income investors, and as a result, interest rates won't really change how their perception of being able to invest capital. As a result of being senior secured or junior capital in place, and their interest rates are usually LIBOR plus some spread, well, you know, their LIBOR is increasing may make it disadvantageous for companies to look at it, but not for the investors to look at. The investors are getting a higher rate of return, potentially adjusted for the for, for interest rate hikes, but it won't dissuade them from investing in a, in a facility where the capital is senior in place and they're getting a fixed return over a certain amount of time. Hmm. In fact, it'll be more advantageous than ever for
0: And the tax reform package that passed in December included some less favorable tax treatment for corporate debt than we had in the past. How do you foresee this impacting the types of financing solutions that you put together for small and and mid-sized
1: companies? So it's an interesting exercise, but it doesn't necessarily detract from why people need capital people are going to want to go through the modeling exercise to understand what the implications are for this capital in place with regard to the tax implications but it's not going to stop them from needing to do something that's buying the guy down the street or paying out a shareholder or refinancing the existing debt like all those things are still going to happen anyway sure. so as a result how you apply the capital may affect the structure ultimately but not the need for capital Mm -hmm. So I don't expect that there'll be much of a change, at least in the first couple months, there hasn't been much of a change in terms of volume. In fact, it's increased. So I don't anticipate there'll be much of a flow through once people get adjusted to the fact that the tax implications are in place.
0: Sure. So it's a consideration, but the underlying conditions in which a company would want to borrow, that doesn't change? Not at all. Uh, Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about your involvement with ACG's Intergrowth Conference. You are the chairman this year, and wanted to hear if you can talk a little bit about the value of this networking conference for the type of work that you do.
1: So I've been a member of ACG for 16 years now. I've been on the board in LA for north of 12 or 13 years. And I've found ACG, in fact, I went to the first Intergrowth Conference, which was in Boulder, Colorado, uh, back in like 2001, 2002. I have found ACG to be an invaluable part of my general business networking plan. Um, being able to go to certain cities and meet with you know, 1,500 to 2,000 people at a large conference at any point in time um, and be able to solve for not having to go visit multiple people you know, within that city really does help me be very acute and efficient with my marketing process. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, Intergrowth, which is you know, proven to be every year the largest conference of, of any of the ACG chapters, uh, it's going to be held in San Diego this year on May second to the fourth, um, and it's going to be you know the opportunity for close to two thousand people to come and network over the course of three days, and be able to share their perspective on the market, learn about some of the educational programming that we have in place, and you know go through you know go through their their normal their normal intergrowth you know process.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've also been very involved with ACG Cup, I understand, and that's the association's annual MBA case study competition that is currently wrapping up in many of our markets. Can you talk a little bit about that program and its value to the broader middle market M&A ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I founded the case study 15 years ago as part of the ACG global platform. And the idea was is how do you find a way to integrate MBA students predominantly. There's some undergraduate institutions. Today there's 105 schools nationwide that participate, close to 5,000 students every year. And it was an opportunity for us how to get those students who are ultimately going to move into the workforce predominantly in, in our fields, whether it's accounting or lending or investment banking or companies that are going to use ACG as a platform, how do you get them involved now and aware of us so that they become integrated into our networking program early as part of their career profile and not just later on? Mm-hmm. And so it was a real opportunity to use a hands-on case, which is an investment banking type of, t- type of case study where the, the students are, act, are asked to act like investment bankers to pitch a company given their wherewithal, it's a valuation exercise, and they're presenting to ACG members that judge the competition. So it allows them to interact with ACG members on an educational basis and then network with them afterwards, become aware of ACG in a greater capacity. And at least in the L.A. market, I can tell you that there's probably two or three dozen students over the years which have become members of ACG both in their MBA curriculum and also once they become you know, in the career field.
0: And then one last question that we like to ask all of our podcast guests, what are you reading recently, Chris? Is there either professional or personal? Is there something that you've been reading that has you know, changed the way you think about something or, or something interesting that you'd like to share with our audience? <laughs>
1: So no, that, that's a great question, and I would tell you most of what I, I do and spend my day is usually reading in, in the trade rags about you know LCD or, or the Wall Street Journal for that matter. Mm-hmm. But when, when I like to get away, I like to read sports, or read about sports. So any any sports book that I that I've read recently, any reading I've done personal basis has been around sports.
0: All right, well, Chris Hebble, thanks for joining me on this Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Catherine. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, I'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. After you've rated the show, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid midsize companies and middle market M&A.